This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me, as always, it is a co-host, Alan Niven, and we have got some great, great guests for you from Foreigner, the one, the only, Kelly Hansen, and on the other side, currently celebrating 50 years in the music business, it is the one, the only, Uli John Roth, formerly of the Scorpions, but mostly as a solo artist. Uh, bonjour, Alain. Comment allez-vous? Uh, very well, thank you. And how are you? Good, actually. Uh, you know, Freedom 2.0 certainly feels good. I, I, I do enjoy that. And of course, yes, folks, I'm going to do this every so often, but I will remind you, if you have any inclination to uh, support the show, please, um, my PayPal address is Mitch Minute at AOL.com, MitchMinute at AOL.com. Any amount would be greatly appreciated to help pay for all these hosting sites and, and Skype subscriptions. And uh, I mean, it turns out that when you do this alone, there's a lot of hidden costs. So there you go. But uh, let's get back to the rock and roll. Kelly Hansen. Well, yes. You know, I think it's fair to point out that you are stuck up north of the border uh, in the middle of winter and people should appreciate that you, for one thing, have to burn a hell of a lot of logs to generate the steam to get your equipment running. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into these shows that I don't think people understand. Yes, and the, the added bonus, and I don't want to have every episode be a, a, a woe is me kind of thing, but uh, being in Canada, all those fees that I pay, I pay in U.S. dollars, and that ends up costing me 32%, currently 32% more uh, then, you know, so, so a 20 bucks is whatever it's 26 bucks or whatever. So everything ends up being super expensive. Anyway, whatever, uh, we will, we will survive and strive and move forward. But, um, where was I? Kelly Hansen, uh, recently in town with foreigner and I brought three friends to, uh, to the show, a, a DJ from, uh, one of Montreal's greatest stations, the beat named Jeremy White a former employee at Evenco who uh, is the promoter, uh, Caroline and Mitch Joel. And if you don't know Mitch Joel, just Google the name Mitch Joel. He is a super, super person. They had not seen Foreigner before. They had not seen Foreigner with Kelly before. And they were like, oh, you know, it's going to be a cover band or it's going to, you know. And they saw the show and they go, ah, now we understand. Now we get why this is so great. And it was nice to convert the unconvertible to the the gloriousness of of Kelly Hansen. But Alan, did, did you know Kelly back in the day? Because during the interview, we talk about this band Hurricane, the band that had the players, they had the songs, they had everything except a long term career and loyal fan base. Um, involved or aware of Hurricane at all back in the mid eighties? Oh yeah, absolutely aware and. Of course, you know what I'm going to say about Hurricane. Um, they had the vocalist. Um, they had songs. What didn't they have? They probably didn't have good management. But my, my connect with Hurricane is a little more obtuse, actually. Um, we shot a, a video for Great White out in the desert called uh, House of Broken Love um, featuring... Um, Bobby Brown. A couple of, well, a couple of girls, Tracy, Tracy Martinson, who was a friend of mine, and uh, a young newcomer called Bobby Brown, who at the time, 
I was told had never been in a video before, which was part of my thinking. I wanted to have a completely fresh personality featured in the video. Um, but actually, she popped her cherry with uh, Kelly and Hurricane. And uh, House of Broken Love was the second video featuring Bobby in a, in a role. And if you go back and look at that video, if you can find it, um, a stunning girl in those days, fresh and just just gorgeous and clean. Yeah. Oh, she absolutely was. Uh, to, to me, she she rose in prominence more for the Cherry Pie video and, and the Janie Lane connection. But uh, the other thing that's very, very important to note from uh, Hurricane is that they used a producer named Michael James Jackson, who, of course, did what, uh, Alan? I know you're a fan, so you must know this answer. He did what? He produced who? He he produced, uh, I think it was the first Grateful Dead album, wasn't it? Perhaps, but he produced Creatures of the Night by Kiss. <laughs> and that... Oh, Kiss! <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Here comes that horse to flog again. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I'm going to have to send you away somewhere where you can get deprogrammed, because it's about due, I think. Oh my lord! Uh, the the band that I mentioned to positively all the time, who who has uh, I guess deemed me persona non grata, uh, but I will still uh, show them love, uh, and I will still uh, throw out the comments because your 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 reactions are are golden. Uh, but anyway, uh, have you by the way seen or heard Kelly with Foreigner? Didn't you go to a Foreigner show like last year or last summer? I sent my surrogate. I sent oh, right. uh, my oldest daughter Chelsea. Okay. And Jeff Pilson was a wonderful host. And uh, she went down with a bunch of her friends to go and see, you know, the old man music and so on and so forth. And called me up after the show and was doing a wow. They are fabulous. They were fantastic. They were present. And it wasn't just a tired rehash. It was alive. And they had a wonderful time. Um, so go see Foreigner. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say this just to, to finish the discussion on Foreigner. Y you know, we talk about Kiss 2.0 or Aerosmith this or y there should be a new Led Zeppelin or a Queen. Th you know, a Queen has uh, Adam Lambert. and should they This is a band, Foreigner, that actually could pull it off. Out of all the bands that you can name, this is a band that if Mick Jones decides to retire and sit in – I think he's in Vegas. I'm not sure. But if he decides to sit at home – and send out the band to go deliver the songs, you could actually go, yeah, this works. They, they really yeah. are that good, and they, they have captured the, the, the spirit, the moment, the whatever you want to call it. The, it's the, called Being There, darling. Um, great book, by the way, written by Jersey Kaczynski. If anybody's a reader, I strongly recommend that book called Being There. But in any rock and roll show, is the band there and present and spontaneous and really connecting, or are they going through the motions? And the reason why the foreigner shows work is because they're there. They're there. And listen, Jeff Pilson uh, came from Dawkin. You've got uh, a drummer who came from White Snake. You've got Bruce Watson, who has spent time with uh, Elton John. And and a bunch of others. You, you, you've got well, you still got Mick, and you've got uh, Kelly Hansen, who, yes, was in Hurricane. Yes, they weren't Billboard darlings, 
But my lord, the voice, the vocals, the songs, it was all there except for, I guess, the time, the management, whatever. Anyway, uh, without further ado, here is the one, the only, one of my favorite uh, frontmen, the absolutely spectacular Kelly Hansen. We are speaking with a foreigner singer, Kelly Hansen. Uh, Kelly, absolute, absolute pleasure to talk to you today. I know. Oh, I mean, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. You know, there's there's a lot of great stuff. No, but, uh, you know, I want to talk not just about what Foreigner is doing now. Of course, you just had the Canadian tour and you're touring all summer and then we'll see what happens uh, at the end of summer. But talk to me just real quick. What has Foreigner meant to you? Because, you know, you, you did Hurricane. And then you sort of did Unruly Child and a lot of cover stuff for Cleopatra and and Perfect World. By the way, the Perfect World album is fantastic. But talk to me about what this meant, because it sort of steadied the ship. Instead of being sort of this free agent going from project to project, it became uh, the Kelly Hansen. Um, I don't want to say the Kelly Hansen show, but it really has sort of cemented your position as a rock vocalist and as somebody that you can really sort of trust and sink your teeth in. And when you put on a show, it's a great thing. Well, thanks. Well, you know, uh, after hurricane, I think that I was really reticent to even put together another band. Um, that, uh, that six years was really great, but the last couple of years with hurricane was really difficult. We, you know, spent a year of my life making an album writing and recording and uh and and then the label went bankrupt you know through all kinds of reasons but um we were not treated well and uh it was a hard blow and a hard lesson and and it just kind of made me shy about doing that so so you know and then grunge came in and the 90s were a very dark time for a, a vocalist like me um, you know, like a strong, uh, tenor, clean kind of tenor kind of voice that that's not what people wanted to hear. And I knew that I, I was just going to have to kind of sit it out for a while and, and do other things in, related to what I do. And I did, and I did that and I was doing productions and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was doing some of these projects, um, because, you know, a lot of that time you had to do what you had to do to try to kind of keep moving forward. And, um, so, but, uh, I think time, I knew there would be a time where it rolled around again, where there would be a, a, a time again for a voice like mine. And, uh, and, uh, it, I in kind of in a serendipitous way, I was unhappy with where I was in my career because you, as you know, technology was moving forward and people were being, being able to make records in their bedrooms. And so, uh, album budgets were getting less and less and, labels weren't paying as much supporting as much. And, um, so I was working harder and harder for less money. And, and I finally one day just had this epiphany and I said, I just need to do what I do best, which is be a lead singer. And I hadn't really been doing that a lot and uh, started looking around. And the first thing that I saw that could be a possibility was Mick Jones doing a benefit in Santa Barbara. And what did that mean? And, and I made some phone calls, got in touch and, you know, long story short, I became the singer foreigner and I knew it was going to change my whole world again. Cause I knew that we were going to start touring and I hadn't been on the road in almost 15 years. So, uh, but I think it was time, you know, it was time to get to jump back into that kind of band setting and do that again. Yeah. And it worked out, uh, absolutely, uh, swimmingly. But, uh, before I get back to that, the, the latest release that just came out is the greatest hits of foreigner live in concert. And what's, 
uh, spectacular about that is that it is a sort of a co- coordination or a combination with the Shriners Hospital for Children. So the Shriner Hospital for Children presents Foreigner's Greatest Hits. Talk to me about working with the Shriners, because when you go to a Foreigner show, there is always a Shriners uh, booth or something where they're selling a CD or something. Um, talk to me about that relationship and giving back to the community. Yeah, there's always a Fez presence, I like to say. Uh, uh, we've been working with the Shriners for, for 10 years, and they've just been a great partner with us. Um, uh, they've worked with us at the shows, and we donate money to uh Shriners Hospitals for Children, and um, they they do such great work. And I've always had just a great experience with them. And uh, from early on, when I toured one of the hospitals in St. Louis, and till just recently, we decided to Mick Jones decided to allow Shriners to have the use of I want to know what love is royalty free for to benefit them and and as a fundraiser. And we had uh, a bunch of kids that are uh, Shriners Hospitals patients come in and sing backgrounds on I Want to Know What Love Is, and people can go to uh, showthemlove.org, and they can either download uh, the uh, stream, download the single or the the whole album, they can donate or they can do both, and um, all those proceeds go to the Shriners. And, um, you know, it's really great for us to be trying to, to do a little something that kind of helps others. And we also work with the Grammy Foundation and raising awareness about the um, lack of funding for school music programs. And so we have school choirs come sing on stage with us and we donate money to the school choirs. It's just uh, when you realize how fortunate you are and to be in a band like this, and we've all been around the block and I know you know several guys in the band and uh, we all understand how fortunate we are to be able to do this. It's, it doesn't uh, it doesn't hurt at all to be able to turn around and, and do, give something back. It really doesn't. Um, let me just quickly talk new music. Back in 2009, you released Can't Slow Down with Foreigner, their sort of first album in God knows how many years. Um, talk to me about that experience and, and having Mick Jones come to you and say, okay, you've sung the Lou Graham era songs for X amount of years. You've sung Jukebox Hero. You sung, you know, Cold as Ice. Now let's create something together. Was that nerve wracking? Was that like, oh, it's about time? What was sort of that recording session and time like for you? We had been working together and trying to find a window where we could write and record a new album. And as soon as the band was revamped and we started touring again. The demand was like uh, over the moon. It was, uh, it was just beyond. So we were having trouble finding that time. And um, we finally just decided that the one thing we hadn't done as this revamped group was to to do an album together. And um, so we said, we're going to have to do it whether we have time or not. And so during the course of 2009, we were touring the U.S. and Europe. Um, we on every single break, um, Mick would fly to LA or I would fly to New York and with Marty Fredrickson, who was uh, the co-producer there. And, and, uh, and we would set up in hotel rooms with a pro tool system and we would just get up every day and go in there and just bang out ideas. And, um, it was exhausting and, uh, also very satisfying. And, um, uh, and also, I was I was having to edit a video release that we were uh, that we were planning to have, so there was just a lot going on. In 2009, I, I say almost killed me, and you know it was hard on my voice. You know, I'm touring and then I'm recording and trying to 
put all that effort into making a, a good recording takes a lot out of you vocally as well. So, um, so it was really good that we did it. Um, but it also showed us too, that I think the day it was released, people were trading it for free on the internet. And that's a disappointing experience to go through when you spent so much time and energy trying to create something and do something artistic. And, and, um, I think it kind of spelled out to us that we kind of have to do releases differently and, you know, spending the time and the money and the energy to do full albums worth of materials for people, uh, who are mostly going to not have to pay for it was, was too much. So I think it's better for us now. Do we do things like a little bit at a time, a couple of releases here or there and, and, um, uh, but doing it and having, you know, Mick have faith in me to do it and to co-write was, was really a great thing. And I think that we both understood that's what we needed to do. Yeah, you really did. Now I have interviewed Mick and Jeff over the, over the years, uh, Mick recently, like about a month ago. And, and they sort of say, well, there, there's no purpose really to make a new Foreigner album. But for you, Kelly Hansen, outside of Foreigner, is there a purpose to make something new? Do you want to lend your voice to a new project? Do you want to do another Perfect World or another Unruly Child or another whatever, or even another Hurricane? Is there a desire to make new music? Or he's like, you know what? Been there, done that. I'm happy doing what I'm doing now. Well, I would never be the one to say never, um, and it all depends on what happens in the future, although I'm very happy doing what I'm doing with Foreigner, which is a really full-time, 24-7 thing. I don't have, first of all, the energy of Jeff Pilsen, who who immediately can jump off the road and just go bang into the studio and spend his whole break there. Um, I He and I are kind of different in that way. I kind of need the break to rest my voice and rest my psyche, you know? And, um, so we're different people in that way. And he, he can go off and do a lot of other stuff and I just don't have that stamina. Um, uh, so I'm in a place where I kind of like, I, since we tour so much, we tour seven, eight months of the year. I like to have uh, a time to enjoy life and, and do things outside of music and things like that. So, but I'm never saying never to, to, to anything. It just matter. It's a matter of what comes up, you know? Right. And, and, right, and we need time for to, to, to develop our cooking skills. That's, that's what we need, right? That's true. That is absolutely true. <laughs> that is true. Um, I did get a chance to see a Double Vision show with uh, both you and Lou Graham, uh, and, and I, I do hear that there might be some more on the horizon. Talk to me about that concept and that show, because it really is something unique. Not a lot of bands are out there. And, you know, the, the band Halloween is doing something similar, but in terms of, you know, <laughs> widely known public... Not a lot of bands are, 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 are reconvening with past members and celebrating the entire history. Uh, talk to me about those shows and, and what it's like to actually stand on the stage with Lou Graham, but also the guy that you're replacing. I mean, it's sort of like, oh, oh, look who's there. Um, comfortable, awkward, or just what a great celebration? I think I think what something in there you said was really important. It's like... Um, um, celebrating the legacy of the band and this catalog of songs. Um, most bands go out there and, and they play their show and then they have, they wait for the two or three songs that the audience really knows at the end of the show uh, to, you know, to climax the show. And, and it's just so different because every uh, 
song with this band is is a well-known, well-crafted song. It's a great song to sing. There's no, for me, no preference to sing any particular one over another one. They all are just, I'd like to call them a basket full of uh, beautiful ripe fruit that I get to choose from. And uh, so, and as, as, as far as the band members go, I think this band has always gone through a lot of uh, changing people uh, ever since like the second record. And, and I think over time, I think um, you start to look back and you start to recognize what you've accomplished, uh, what you've accomplished, and and how much it, it's meant not only for you and your life, but also for the musical world. And and I think that's kind of uh, and I don't want to put words in their mouths, but I think there's a little bit of that going on with the guys. And um, uh, to be able to all of us to come together to celebrate the legacy of this band was really cool. And and I think that. Um, the willingness of the original members to come out and do something with us was, was a nice thing to see that they were giving us at least that credence. And, um, and that, that was very valuable and, and meaningful. And, and, uh, you thought you, you think it would be really odd. It was, it was, it was a little hesitant, you know, when we just first met, but everyone had a, a great, um, attitude and no one came in with any bullshit and they were, um, they were really cool and really open and really giving and really trusting and everyone just came in and we just did our thing. And it surprisingly, it worked out really, really well. And we have a good time together. Um, we all, uh, like to hang out together as well. And, and those guys are really great about letting us kind of sometimes pick their brains like, well, what guitar did you play on that song on that piece? And how did it go? And was this, because you, you can't really always get all that information just strictly from listening to the track. So, um, so it's, it's been a really great thing. And I think it's been a really interesting thing for the audience as well. And that definitely was a big part of, of it as well. And, um, uh, it's, it, and it's also too, it's a, it's a matter of sharing the understanding of the songs. Cause I think a lot of people know the songs, but they don't always know that foreigner is the one that did them. And, um, so that kind of helped in that area as well. It did. And, and I'll tell you, for me, I saw the show at Mohegan Sun in uh, Connecticut. The one revelation I had, because I knew you were great, and I know Jeff is great, and I know Mick is great. We know, you know, was Dennis Elliott on drum? That guy has not lost a single beat. I mean, he was a monster uh, on those tracks. I mean, just absolute monster, <laughs> right? Um, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say that um, the first time that Dennis sat in with us, uh, he told me that he hadn't picked up drumsticks in years. And, um, so yeah, it makes it all the more amazing, you know, cause he, and, and I, you know, he's also got his chops, you know, working and doing his whole thing. And, and, uh, and he really does have that sauce, you know, it, it, it was unbelievable now. And I know we're running out of time cause we, I was told 15, uh, just, just real quick though, looking back on, on hurricane. Now you, you sort of laid out that the record company had some troubles and stuff, but, how do you sort of qualify that time in your life? Because the band at the time and being a fan at that time, you know, I was very much into the Def Leppards and the Bon Jovis and then Metallica Black Album. And, and I did buy Over the Edge and I did buy the Hurricane stuff. But, you know, it, it, it sort of was like the fifth CD in, in, the, car, in the carousel. Um, but now you look at it and you go, man, this stuff is really brilliant. Did, how do you sort of look back at it? Is, is it is it? you know, brilliance that, that got missed? Is it cringeworthy? Is it, you know what, maybe I should revisit it and maybe at an M3 festival, re revive the band for a night. How do you, how do you sort of take stock of, of Hurricane? 
I think it was for all of us in the band, it was formative. It was really, we, there were a lot of firsts for us in that, um, um, you know, first making a real budget record, first touring significantly, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but even at the time, uh, there was a lot of discussions. I remember having these discussions with management and trying to pinpoint what was lacking, what we needed, what we didn't have uh, that other bands had that were doing better than us. And um, and it it was probably some somewhat of the songs because although the songs and everything are are well done in a way, um, they weren't necessarily strikingly unique to where and and some of it to do with me vocally you don't go hear that voice immediately know that's kelly hansen and and the and the other thing i used to say in the meetings i I would say when you close your eyes and you say the word van halen you have images come to your mind of uh dave and his hair or, or eddie's guitar or you know and and when you close your eyes and thought of hurricane nothing stood out and i think that was really the primary issue that was going on at the time with the band. Um, we were a good band, you know, we're, we're kind of safe in a few ways. And I think that that, um, had an effect. Um, uh, now years later, looking at the records, I, I know that the records are well done. And, and I think the songs have a, uh, uh, they, they have a, a you know, what do you call it? Uh, when people look back with fondness, um, what word oh, am I well, trying to think of? Well, uh, they, 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 they have it brings, right. It, it brings back memories. And so you have that kind of, uh, so that makes, that gives the songs more weight than they really do on their own. So, um, I think that they, I think it was a great experience for me. I'm proud of the stuff that we did. Um, and I'm proud of, the work that's on those records, I'm so glad I don't have to cringe too much going back uh, and looking at the records. Um, but, um, you know, I, I can see why it was the fifth uh, CD in the carousel. And uh, so, you know, there you go. That's, uh, that's the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, and listen, I, I mean that respectfully. It's just uh, I understand what you're saying. But uh, but when you look back at the team you had, I mean, you had Bob Ezrin uh, as an executive producer. You had Mike Klink, who, of course, did a whole bunch of stuff with Guns N' Roses. Then you had Michael James Jackson, who, of course, had done uh, Kiss Creatures of the Night and, and some L.A. Gun stuff. I mean, it seemed to me as though all the ducks were in order, and yet it just didn't get to that next stage. And, and it, it's, it's unfortunate because I, I have been listening very much uh, to all of them, including the last one, Liquid Fury. Uh, over the last few months, and it's just like, wow, how, how did I miss this? How did I not get this? You know, but well, you know, I, I, the the thing with um, with the uh, over the edge and slave to the thrill was over the edge. You know, Clink uh, and and Ezrin were both there working as co-producers, except Bob was going to be more executive producer, and Mike was going to be more day to day, and. Um, and you know, Ezra had just finished uh, learning to fly, and and Clink had just done Appetite for Destruction, <laughs> and so yeah, you're right. And uh, Clink left because he said his time with us that it was scheduled for us was up, and and he left, and that left Ezra to finish the record. And I always give props to Bob for taking half a record and finishing it, you know. And uh, but then when Slave to the Thrill came along the label said, you know, we're really going to be behind this. We're going to make this a priority. And by the way, a lot of bands got to hear that line over the years. And, um, 
But as soon as the record was released, they there was a, a half buy-in by uh, by Capitol Records, and the original people who made that label great cashed out, you know, and just kind of weren't there anymore. And that's that has a lot to do with why it didn't do better than it did. Um, although I have my suspicions that Over the Edge um, sold more than gold, and we never found out about it. And um, there was a lot of hinky stuff going on with over the edge and and uh and how the label was being run at the time so um i think that has a little bit to having to do with why someone might have missed it or not not gotten it not have gotten the shake that it should have yeah absolutely and of course uh you went on with uh with foreigner and uh, jay shellen of course uh been with yes for a long time so it was a band of all stars that just uh that just uh you know anyway um I could, of course, go on forever, but we were given 15. We're at 20. So, uh, Kelly, absolute, <laughs> absolute pleasure. I mean, listen, I, I could be here until 3 in the morning uh, doing this. Uh, we, we, haven't, we haven't even touched Perfect World. I know, and, and I'll just say this for people who haven't seen this album. It came out in 2003. You cover uh, Pink on there, right? Just Like a Pill. And, yeah. and if you haven't heard this album, go over to Spotify or YouTube or whatever. Track it down. It is a slice of melodic rock heaven. It is just absolutely delightful, and I and I, and I know the people at Frontiers love to do these uh, albums with with guys like you, and, and they get their whole team behind it. But it, it I don't know, it turned out great. Do, do you like that album? By the way? it just it's it's a fun summertime album. Yeah, you know, uh, there was a, there was a period of time where uh, singers of my era were. Uh, we're looking for work and frontiers was one of the album, one of the along with Cleopatra and a couple others that were doing these record uh, packages, these uh, project records, they would call them. And, um, I knew that if I did too many of them, I'd get oversaturated like other singers of my era that I will not name. But I, but on the other hand, you know, some of these things you just had to do just for money because you had to do them. And, um, Perfect World was was not born out of my strong desire to cover a bunch of people's songs. Um, so, but it was it was also a chance to go in and and be in the studio and make a record and work, and so that was all good too. So, uh, you know, two sides of that coin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, sir. We will see you on tour uh, soon, and uh, there you go. Merci beaucoup, as we say. <laughs> thank you, man. Nice talking to you. Cheers. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. And a very big thank you to Kelly Hansen. Uh, always, always a pleasure to catch uh, Kelly. Now, uh, one of the guys there on the uh, crew has a band called Reverend Jack. They have a new album out. It is called, well, I have it in front of me. It's called Not playing games and i'm telling you if you like old school rock and roll you will definitely want to check out reverend jack and end. i will help you check them check them out by telling you where head over to facebook.com backslash or forward slash i guess we say in, the, in this day and age real reverend jack so facebook.com real reverend jack uh chris Leparage who, of course, used to work with all kinds of people, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Lady Gaga, Iron Maiden, Britney Fox uh, produced it. It sounds absolutely fantastic. They do a cover of Midnight Rider on top of that, so do check that out. And uh, we will get over now to Uli John Roth, Monsieur Niven. 
he is a confrère in esprit, a, a, a brother in arms, a brother in spirit, because he, like you, perhaps mistakenly, think that Jimi Hendrix is the greatest guitarist to ever walk the earth. Uh, of course, totally forgetting about Ace Frehley, which is silly. Um, are you a fan of, of, of Uli? When, whenever you can say scorpions and somehow say psychedelic guitar, um, you're on to a winner straight away. And Uli, um, you know, the Germans have a very definite sense that they're right. They build the right kind of cars and they build them the right way. And Uli is absolutely right when he says that Jimi Hendrix was the ultimate guitar god and then there's everybody else. And one of these days I will fly up to Canada and I will bring some mushrooms and blow your mind and spend a week playing you nothing but Jimi Hendrix. And by the end of it, you'll get it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the the one thing about Jimi Hendrix is that he never wanted to rock and roll all night and party every day. And if you're not going to do that, can't listen. That's just I can't listen. You you uh, have no, to listen. Shock me all you want. Yes, Jimmy did his share of partying, um, and in this day and age of conspiracies, I will tell you that for decades, I have suspected that he might have been helped to the other side, and I think the powers that be were getting nervous about rock and roll, and I think it's possible. Morrison was helped to the other side. Janice may have been helped to the other side. Um, and Nixon put John Lennon on the FBI watch list. Um, so there's my little rabbit hole about conspiracy and rock and roll for the day. You know, there, there could be some validity to that because they were seen as subversives. Ooh, it's a big yeah. word. And they were, they were encouraging uh, a youthful attitude to think for itself and challenge the hypocrisies of the establishment. And you know what? I'd love to see a lot more of that right now. Yeah, we will. So let, let, let us get over to Uli John Roth. He is on the road, on tour, celebrating 50 years of just everything. His, his entire career, the Scorpions, uh, solo stuff. It is, it is a spectacular show. And honestly, I don't know. I mean, the show is about three and a half to four hours long. And I just don't understand how at his age and uh, how he just doesn't get a cramp in his, in his hand for crying out loud. And he just, it's just an incredible performance. So uh, without further ado, le voilà, le seul et unique. Uh, and I'm, I don't know how you say that in German. Uh, here is Uli John Roth. We are speaking with guitarist Uli John Roth. A new tour starts on March 20th in Hollywood. And of course, it gets down to my neck of the woods, Canada, April 15th, Toronto, April 16th, Montreal, and Quebec and Ottawa. Uli, always, always a pleasure to talk to you. I've always uh, enjoyed our conversations and, and the moments of hanging out and all that. So, uh, bonjour, as we say. Bonjour, Mitch. <laughs> yes. Yes, so... Listen, th this tour, unless I'm mistaken, was supposed to happen last year, and then the border got in the way. So, yeah, uh, not the Canadian border. The Canadians are always really super cool. Um, no, it was the U.S. Um, immigration 
is, um, I mean, I've been, I've had visas ever since the, the early 80s, and uh, it was always very, very easy. But in recent years, it has been getting more and more difficult for artists from abroad to, to get these visas that we need, where they're, they're basically called work visas, because I don't really consider it work, <laughs> you know, playing guitar, but um, some people do. And um, so um, it has been getting more difficult and closer to the edge in recent years, meaning uh, it's, it's usually uh, a process that takes several months. You have to apply, and then you have to jump through numerous hoops. And a lot of artists nowadays cannot even do it because particularly younger artists who are not established find it impossible to play in the U.S. Um, because of visa restrictions for whatever reasons. And um, now this time, for the first time, it actually happened to me. My visa stuff, although we started well in advance, aware of the difficulties, but actually it came too late. And um, um, so I did get my visa in the end, but uh, I got it after the tour was supposed to have started. And that has never happened to me before. There was one issue a few years back where it was borderline, where it still kind of was cleared before the tour, but it was so late that we decided to not do the tour because it would have kind of um, destabilized. It wouldn't have been sure if we could do the tour financially uh, because we would have lost some shows. But this time it was uh, really definitely much too late and we had a cutoff date and we just had to cancel the tour. Um, having had all these uh, ex previous expenses already and everything was in place, tickets had been sold, it was ridiculous. Um, we uh, And we didn't know why, but um, it happened to quite a few bands and apparently the immigration authorities are totally overworked there with a new president asking them to more rigorous, rigorously, uh, you know, vet everybody, and they just don't have the manpower. So I suppose they um, just want to demonstrate that they're overworked or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And um, it is really ridiculous, particularly in my case, because, I mean, if they're chasing for terrorists, I understand that, you know, but... Um, Anybody with a little bit of research can easily tell that I'm like a friend of the United States, always have been, <laughs> you know. In fact, most of my fans are in America by far. It is my favorite country to tour. And uh, then this kind of treatment, it just shows that some people obviously don't know what they're doing. They're looking in the wrong places, wasting a lot of money and wasting a lot of time and the system is simply not working, you know. I mean, I understand if they want to keep certain uh, criminal elements out of the country, yes, absolutely. But if you want to do that, you have to look in the right places and not in obviously the wrong places, which is like my band and myself, you know. Well, uh, listen, I would suggest that your, say, your well, guitar is a lethal weapon. Who's right or wrong, you know? But yeah, right. <laughs> now, anyways, that's the reason why we had to cancel. It was uh, not a pretty sight. But luckily, 
this is the good news. Um, most of the shows that were originally scheduled, we, we managed to get them back, but not all of them, because, of course, it is um, a huge undertaking to book 40-something shows and with all the logistics. And so some shows were um, now are in either different venues or in different uh, cities, but most of them, we get them back. Yeah, and so so let's talk about the tour, the the, the 50th. And at a better time of the year. Yes, you know? because <laughs> every time you've come to Montreal or come to Ottawa, oh, it has been minus please. something. And it's just yes. like, oh. So well, my picture of Canada is that of an icy, snowy country. Uh, forgive me. But this time, now I'll have the first chance to see um, it in a different light. And I'm really looking forward to that, particularly now we're also getting to Saskatchewan and we're doing Alberta, Edmonton, Regina and all this. How cool is that, you know? Because we've we've never played down that neck of the woods and I'm really looking forward to exploring that and play all these, these new places for, oh, for us. It, it's going to be spectacular. So, so let me ask you about this 50th anniversary tour. Um, let me just start off here quickly in in Japan. You had uh, Phil X from Bon Jovi join you. You had Rudy Lenners, uh, Rudolf Schenker. Talk to me about about those special guests and and having them uh, join you. And when you play with Rudy and you play with Rudolf, does it bring you back to a moment? Is there a special? And I know the word is cliche, but is there a chemistry when you guys are on stage together? Does it lock in and, and does the, the sound get transformed? The, the word chemistry is absolutely the right one. Uh, I mean, it was uh, so obvious to everyone, including ourselves, and uh, my band really picked up on that. As soon as uh, Rudolf and I got together, it was like... Not just like the olden days. It was like there, there's something in the air when, when we play together and when, when we even meet. Uh, it's just one of these things that you can't explain because we are like um, musically almost polar opposites. You know, he's like um, fantastic at holding down the bottom line and making these power riffs, um, you know, which nobody else can write like him. And I'm the one who's more like, you know, the 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 one who is more airy fairy, I guess, you know. And um, somehow it's like a huge bridge between us that needs to uh, a huge um, distance that needs um, connecting. And somehow we we are always managing to connect in in that sense, you know. And uh, it was just like that. Again, it, it felt so good having him on that stage. It was a big honor because, of course, he wrote a lot of those those tunes, and um, it felt like a, a homecoming of sorts. And, and not just to us, he also felt really good about it. Uh, it was really uh, nice of him that he did this because it wasn't easy because he had just been in Thailand, had to get to America the next day for a, a show in Oklahoma, and so he flew like all the night through the night. Um, he arrived straight from the airport to the um, to the Sun Plaza Hall. Uh, we had a run through of the songs. Then he had to wait for a few more hours because before the show started. And then he was on stage. You know what a trooper! Yeah. And he had 
so much energy uh, to give still. And so we did two of these shows with him, and then he had to um, fly on to America. It was great. And um, now the the other part of the equation, Rudy Lenners, yes, absolutely. It, it, this also felt like a family thing. With people like that, when you've been together for so long and in a good way being together because there's never been any um, anything bad between uh, Rudolf and me or Rudy and me, we, we were always like uh, close. Um, it, it did feel like a family kind of thing. And hearing Rudy play uh, these songs exactly in the way they they were written was also very refreshing, you know, because he um, he he gave them a certain uh, authenticity that um, uh, a quote unquote more modern or younger drummer wouldn't have been able to reproduce. Uh, it felt really good. And uh, it wasn't easy for him because he's normally a left-handed player. And um, but because um, we, uh, he said, "Don't worry, um, we won't take up any time on stage. He'll just play play it the other way around." And and he did great, you know. But I know it wasn't easy for him because he's not really used to doing that. So that felt good. That and felt- then um, Phil X, Phil as X. you know, he's yeah. from bon Canada. Yes, and from Toronto. What a guy. Um, I met him uh, uh, only um, relatively recently. That was last year at a guitar festival in Germany, and we got on very well. I um, I didn't know him before, but um, as he, he took one of my sky guitars backstage, and he was able to um, play it like uh, flawlessly right away, which is the sign of a a real guitar player, you know, and because they're not necessarily so easy to play for everybody. Um, and uh, I, I immediately saw his talent, and then I realized he could sing as well. And and we got on as as people, you know. Um, so uh, it was a. Uh, I, I just spontaneously invited him for for the shows, and and he immediately said yes, and and there he was, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was great, and and he he um, he really put a lot of fire into those songs. He he sang uh, two songs, and he played guitar as well, and and he played on several also. Yeah, we had some real um, real chemistry there as well. And that was something that I knew was going to happen because I, um, I felt we uh, we uh, we had this thing, you know, together, which you don't have with with a lot of people. With some people, it just clicks, you know. He was one of these people. Well, it's because he's Canadian, and we're so easy to get. I guess. And the yeah, well, uh, the Canadians have some amazing musicians. They've always been strong on that front, you know. I mean, talk about uh, Montreal, Toronto. I mean, you know, yeah, you you you've got um, well, we, Frank Marino, who's like an yeah. uh, absolute guitar uh, monster player, and um, then. Um, uh, you had um, Oscar Peterson, who was uh, unbelievable as a, a piano player. You had Glenn Gould, which is one of the greatest ever classical players, um, a complete one-off phenomenon, you know. 
And uh, in fact, I spoke to Phil X about Glenn Gould, and he even didn't know him. I said, this is a serious um, problem, you know. So I made him listen to Glenn Gould. I, I don't know if he did, but I, I hope he did. He, he probably <laughs> did. And, and you know, uh, Frank... Generation don't know these things anymore, but when I grew up, classical music was still very, very strong, also in the public mind, and Glenn Gould was just... Um, uh, a phenomenon, a century, century phenomenon, uh, complete eccentric, strange person, but ever so interesting and um, uh, an innovator and pathfinder in, in what he did. And he could have only been Canadian. It was so typical. There's a certain vibe about the Canadians that uh, brings out something that, that you don't get in other places. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that. Well, it's because it's so cold, you have to stay inside and practice. Now, now Frank Marino... I guess that's what it is. It has to be. Frank, Frank yeah, Marino Frank lives here. In other cold countries, you know, so <laughs> that's not the only ex, uh, uh, explanation. <laughs> well, yeah, but I was just going to say, Frank, Frank Marino lives in Montreal, and when uh, Zach Wilde came through, Frank came out and, and, and hung out and stuff, so I will give him a call and see if he'll come out to your show. Oh, I think that anyway. would be fun. That would be fun. What is Frank doing now, anyways? He uh, is well, essentially, sort of retired. I mean, he he's been working on a on a DVD for the last six years uh, of a concert he's and more a perfectionist than myself, if that were possible. In fact, yes. he's much worse than I could ever be, and. Um, the results, of course, are astonishing, but I, I have a feeling that he works himself to death sometimes. Yes. So, so let's, let me just quickly talk about the North American tour and what fans can expect. Because when you look at the Japan videos that are on YouTube and you read the set list, you, you know, you, you're doing Send Me an Angel, which is a, a song that you had not played on, of course, originally with the Scorpions. Well, doing, you know why we did that. We did that as basically uh, because to honor Rudolph's presence, you know, um, that we did that particularly because he was there and I wanted to include one of the quote-unquote more recent Scorpion songs still from the 80s. Oh, so, only, only 28 years later. No, when, when was that? 91? Yeah. yeah. It's been, been a while. Yeah. For me, it was a novelty because it was basically a post-Uli kind of song and um, and it's uh, it happens to be my favorite of, of the songs that they wrote. And um, I always wondered what it would sound like to do this in the 70s version. Like uh, it might have sounded uh, before they became famous. And, I, and that's pretty much what we did. You yeah, know? it sounds great. So, I was but quite you're doing... pleased with it. Of course, it wasn't as commercial as the um, the version that... Um, that made it into the charts, but um, we've recorded it for a DVD, and you can be your own judge of that. Oh, I can't wait! But 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 you're doing top what? of the bill all along Play the that. watch hour. Cut, catch the catch your train. Top. Is that what the North American audiences are going to get to? Is it is it going to be sort of a, a a greatest hits celebration of the last fifty years, or does the North American? Not, no, it's not just greatest hits. It's more. It's more than that. Um, it's also a, a journey through time. Um, the entire first half, because it comes in two halves, we we have a, a little bit of an intermission in the middle, so people don't get too exhausted. But it's quite a quite a long show, 
Um, having said that, I didn't have any complaints so far that anybody said it was too long, neither in England nor in Germany nor in Japan. On the contrary. So um, I don't think uh, that'll be the problem. Um, so the, the entire first half is more a listening experience. We're playing uh, a lot of electric sound in the first half. We are also doing uh, things like Starlight, uh, Sky of Avalon, you know. Um, and so the first half is more, a little bit more heavy duty, more serious minded, more, a little bit more complex. The second half is um, altogether more relaxed. Uh, we are um, starting it off with uh, um, with uh, a, solo, a couple of solo pieces that I wrote for my eight-string um, flamenco sky guitar. So, um, and then uh, we're we're playing uh, basically um, a lot of the. Uh, best of of early scorpions i would say you know and um and we're mixing it up sometimes we play a few other songs it, it's not always the same every night but uh, on the whole the program will be similar to the japanese um program it's not going to be identical but but very similar how, yeah. how do you looking back at these 50 years sir, sir the, i mean the obvious question is what sort of keeps you going at this point? Why not sort of just take stock and say, hey, it's been great, and now I'm just going to go to Hawaii and, and, and enjoy some beach and, and just... Are, are you still motivated to make new music, by the way? Well, first of all, I'm not the beach type. Okay. So that's not... Um, that wouldn't be enticing enough, you know? I mean, I've just been, been at a beach in Thailand, and it's great for a couple of days, but then I tend to get bored, and then I want to get back to work. So... I, having said work, it's not really work, you know. It is, I mean, being creative is, is just a complete um, thrill, and it's an, uh, it's an elixir, as we would say in, in Europe. It, it keeps me going, and it keeps me motivated. And the reason why I, I need to continue is because I feel I'm far from done yet i i still want to do so much more i want to say so much more and yes i am now in my 60s and some people would say well yeah that's the end of the road to me it sometimes feels almost like a beginning and i i see new beginnings and and that's what ex what's exciting like for instance the, the last summer um, I had a complete um, renaissance of my um, finger-picking, um, playing on discovering my, my eight-string guitar and writing uh, quite a few pieces and albums worth of music for, for my acoustic guitar. That was very exciting because I was, uh, you know, um, because it was eight strings, I was forced to come up with completely new things all the time, new chord structures, um, new harmonic meanderings, which wouldn't be possible on the sixth string. So it was a, a real challenge, but it was a really nice challenge. It felt like like I was like uh, 16 years of age, completely rediscovering the guitar once again, you know? And that that's exciting because I haven't had that in a long time. Um, and... Um, I can still see a lot of new ground in in anything also with the electric guitar. 
So that's why I need to keep going. I, I'm going to do this for as long as I can with a good conscience, meaning as long as I can play uh, well enough so that, that I feel fine about it, then I'm, I'm going to do it. So does it lead to to a new album? And and if you do do a new album, would it be a vocal album with one of the singers, or, or going back to instrumental? Because you you've discovered well, or you're um, it, it could be it could be both. I I I uh, in recent years I have felt uh, the urge to do an acoustic album, and I was always thinking about doing a traditional acoustic album, like with you know, songs and uh, yeah, vocals, etc., and maybe um, reinterpret some of my other stuff with uh, just acoustic instruments. So this is something that is absolutely possible, but that would be more like a live album because we have started to doing these acoustic shows live, including we just did one in Tokyo, which went very well. Um, but the one I was just talking about would be real fun for me to do. That would be just an instrumental album, and it would just be me and the eight-string or nine-string guitar, because I'm just having a nine-string built. And um, these pieces that came to me, they're all very melodic, and they make sense to me. So um, I think I could do an entire acoustic album uh, without running the risk of, of it being boring. No, I mean, somebody I'm... might find it boring, but uh, hopefully I won't find it boring because <laughs> then I won't record it. But then you won't record. No, I won't find it boring. Oh, um... that acoustic albums are frowned upon by the um, commercial community because people nowadays are basically vocal. Uh, albums are vocal driven, most albums, particularly all successful albums, you know. But, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting to make this uh, hit album with this. This is just something that came to me that, that I want to do. And, and I do know that some people are will, will like it because uh, my experience is that whenever I like it, there are also some other like-minded people who who feel the same about it, you know, yep. and, that, and that's good enough for me. Well, and, and I have to say that as a fan I particularly find it intriguing when a band does acoustic versions. You know, when Bon Jovi does acoustic versions of their songs, I'm there. When the Scorpions did the Unplug thing, I guess in 2014, I love that stuff. So I, I welcome it. Now, in past interviews, we have covered Tokyo Tapes. We've covered your work on Taken by Force. And I will keep saying this. Your Light is probably the best song the Scorpions have ever done. Uh, yeah, which uh, we hardly uh, ever do live. And each yeah, time you shame on you. Yeah, it's yeah. still at the back of my mind. Yes, I, and but, it's still not redeemed. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I'm still gonna to wag my finger, or you know, to wave yeah, my finger at you. When we do it, you'll be the first to say, "Ah, well, it wasn't so good." No, that's not true. I'll be <laughs> like, "Oh, thank God." It's a, it's a tall order. That one is really hard to do. You know, I have never found a way to play it live in a, uh, in such a way that I was fully satisfied with it. And I don't say that of many songs because with most songs we do find a way to to um, uh, convincingly do that live. But I, I was never happy with with your lights in the live way. And well, but I mean, that doesn't mean try it acoustic. That it's undoable. It just means that so far I failed to find the key um, to uh, 
to the right rendition to make it work. But but let me ask yeah, you maybe here. Maybe I haven't tried hard enough, or maybe or maybe I've tried too hard. I don't know, but yeah. uh, something isn't right here. You, you need to find inspiration. But let me ask you quickly about Entrance, because you did, of course, like we just mentioned, do you those shows. You asked me a hundred times about that one. I've never asked you about Have I asked you about Entrance? Okay, uh, well. Entrance? Well, didn't we do a whole interview about Entrance once? Perhaps. Uh, maybe, I, listen, I, I've also gotten old and I forget, but I, but I, but yes. I do want to ask you because uh, because you, you had Rudy recently and you had Rudolph, but I want to know in terms of Dieter, uh, Dieter Dirks, because his birthday wasn't too long ago and it was the first one. Um, and maybe I've asked you this before. I mean, who knows? Uh, but what did he bring to the sound? Did, did he did he turn the band too commercial or or was he important in the, you know? Uh, it, uh, the Dieter and Angle is an interesting one yeah. uh, in, in, several re- in several ways. Um, uh, among others, the fact that in December, just, just uh, a couple of months ago, we actually took this show to the very Dieter Dirk Studios. And he was there and we played the whole show there at uh, having been invited to do that. And it was really a very nice evening and we were all in great spirits and, and he loved it. He, he loved uh, listening to it and we had a lot of really nice talks that evening. So I've got fond memories of that. I've got most memories of my uh, um, days in the Dirk Studios are fond. Sometimes the the one thing that I wasn't happy with was that um, particularly in the entrance recordings, I didn't have enough time to do my guitars properly. They were all rushed at the end because we spent so much time getting the bass and drums right and and then the vocals and, and the rhythm guitar. So the guitars were almost done as an afterthought and I was never happy with that. Uh, and I let Dieter know, and, and that was like a bone of contention. Um, but other than that, uh, Dieter was very important in galvanizing the band. Now, um, we already had our sound, and um, I don't think, particularly in the time when I was there, the albums wouldn't have sounded too different with um, a different producer uh and don't get this the wrong way. This is not like sacrilegious. Uh, Dieter had a lot of input into our recordings then, but it wasn't so much like the sound. We we had our sound. All you needed to do was put a microphone in front and, and mix it. I think later on, he became more instrumental and in also helping with the arrangements, etc. But what he did when I was there, he was like a galvanizing force. He brought things together, like when we did in trance, he said, let's do a demo. Let's do a demo. And that was a good idea. We, we hadn't done that before. Well, yes, actually, we, we had a demo for, um, for um, uh, Fright Rainbow, I believe. Uh, and that was helpful. But it, his was on a more professional level. He said, let's do a demo in the studio. So we recorded the stuff in the studio, and then we took the tapes home with us. And we're working on it. And then we came back fully prepared. So that was very beneficial. And he taught us a few things. You know, he taught us about being playing together more tightly, um, listening to each other more closely. And he was an incredible workhorse. I learned that from him. You know, I couldn't believe how hard he was working through the nights 
with infinite patience, infinite um, concentration. Uh, and uh, I uh, took a cue from that because when I did my electric sun stuff on my own afterwards, I, I became exactly the same, you know, like a, um, a really hard worker in the studio. And only like that you can really achieve certain things, you know. Um, certain things are done with hard work and other work, things are done with a lot of inspiration, which isn't hard work. And the combination of the two can really bring great results. So Dieter was these things in the band. He, he galvanized things and um, and he brought things in. And uh, But I believe afterwards, after I left, he became more and more instrumental in also shaping the sound of the band and, and from what I understand, he, he became more and more important in, in the framework of things. But he was already important when, when I was there. When he, let me ask you about this about... about I enjoyed with him. I liked him a lot. Oh. You know, although uh, we had a falling out at the end when I left the band, he wanted to remain my producer. And I said, no, I want to start to learn my how to do my own mistakes. And... Um, I wanted to be my own producer, and, and that's why when I left, you know. And then you went. Yeah. It was the band's third album. Was there a pressure going into it? Because you know, Lonesome Crow uh, had a modicum of success. Fly to Rainbow. Now you start getting. A, there's, there's a few more commercial tracks on there. Speedy's coming. They need a million, but still not selling. You know, millions of copies. By the third album, was there a sense of this is do or die, or was just a sense of we'll stay uh, the course? You know, and- um, if there was, I haven't noticed it. And I was present at all the meetings with the record companies. I I didn't experience any pressure. Um, uh, we were very free to do what we wanted, and and we did. Um, it was usually Rudolf and Klaus who had more an eye on um, the commerciality and, and, and the uh, um, the interface with the public. So that wasn't so much my specialty. I really never looked at these things. Um, they were more in tune with these things. And, and maybe they thought along these ways, but we never really discussed it. I don't remember a single discussion along these terms. Okay. And it was a different um, time, right? I mean, record companies back yeah, it then... Was just, it was very free. It was basically, we put, we put forward our best songs, and that was that, you know, and there wasn't really much of a discussion. There were a couple of things, like I remember I didn't like Seamock Fever. Um, I, I knew it was a catchy song, but I didn't want to go down that route with the Scorpions. But in the end, I played it anyways, but I, I wasn't too happy with that, you know. And I I didn't like the lyrics of um, he's a woman she's a man although the song was good so it was things like that you know but in the end I I went along with it but we put our best foot for, forward and and made the best of it and in the in the case of my own input I I only had three songs on that album which was a big difference towards the previous ones but. Um, by that time, I had already written Earthquake and all these things, and or um, or I was about to write Earthquake, and I already had written some Electric Sun stuff, and I, I knew that that stuff would have completely not um, 
fit into the framework of the Scorpion. So I, I didn't bring these songs to the table. They, it would have just been wrong. You know, uh, it, the ones I brought to the table were things like uh, Cesar Sharon, you know. That's a great song. And it's fa- and funny, I did an interview earlier today with uh, the guitarist in Queensryche. And, oh, yeah, I've and, met him. Yeah, and, and, and he said uh, that uh, he grew up and one of his biggest influences was Sales of Quran. He said that that song is the one that made him want to play guitar. So it's kind of funny that on the same day that we're bringing it up again. But uh, you, you didn't get much involved in the commercialism. Is that sort of how you approached your career all the time or when you yeah, left? I, uh, okay. always. Art um, over money? I, was, I mean, that's, um, I guess, one of the reasons why um, I wasn't as successful as the Scorpions with the public because I never really thought along these terms. I, I had different, I always had different goals. My goals were always like music and, and artistically driven, you know. I've never ever in my life written a song or um, or an album with an eye to um, how many albums it would sell. I, I just can't think that way if if i was thinking that way i'm sure i would make a mess of it i just don't have that in me you know because uh it's to me that's all guesswork i mean some people immediately they they've they, they're like they've got the a pulse on the what the public wants you know i i have never been that kind of person i um very often i want something else than what the public wants, you know, and very often songs that sound like hit songs to, to some people and, and become hits, very often they they don't speak to me, but sometimes they do, you know. Um, I mean, like with the Beatles, uh, I was, uh, you know, yeah, when they had a hit, even I knew that was a hit, but some other stuff, I just don't understand why it would sell any copies at all, but you know, I'm I'm just not Mr. Commercial. It's it's just not a uh, something that's been been given to me. I, I agree with you on on the lyrics on uh, he's a woman, she's a man. That's thank you. It, it, that's it, refreshing. It, it's it, it's a great song musically, but it, it is sort of cringeworthy when you. Well, to... I think it's inane. You know, I mean, it's like a, I, I mean, um. I've always prided myself that from a certain period onwards, meaning from uh, the middle of um, Entrance onwards, all my songs had had at least a bit of a message or like a meaning to them or like a a, a slightly higher raison d'etre, you know, other than maybe Dark Lady, which really had no message. It was just a guitar riff. But then... And and the early Scorpion songs, all of them had that. If you listen to "In Search of a Peace of Mind," what a great lyric, you know, and "All Lonesome Crow" and stuff like that, you know. And then there came a time when the Scorpions gave up on that, and yes, they became more commercial, but um, artistically, to me, that that's like selling out. That that is something that um, I've I've never liked, you know. I agree. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 easy to 
misread what I'm just saying, and I don't want to see it as some headline. Uh, probably, no, 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 but... Uh, but you know but, what it's like. You know, stuff like that ends up in blah, 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 and then, yeah, Uli said this, you know? <laughs> it's like, I don't no. mean it in a, uh, in a derogatory way. It's just that sometimes it's a pity, you know? Like, the, the Scorpions, when they have songs like Send Me an Angel, all winds have changed, you know? Um, it, yes, there's a message, and, and it's beautiful, and, and there's like a higher meaning to it. But he's a woman, she's a man, just doesn't have that. It's just like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and to me, that's like exactly what I don't want. Right. I'm so sorry. But you know, uh, I'm just I, I, not that kind of guy, you know. I'm, I'm not that just a fun and games kind of guy. Uh, I've, I've never been that, and I don't think to my dying day I'm not going to be that. But I, I will say this in in their defense and and Kiss's defense and Def Leppard. Sometimes you just want to hear rock and roll all night and party every day. You just you you want to get away I, from from. But the... I've never been like that, right. even even like that. You know, it's like uh, I I don't make that distinction. You know, right. I I like to to have a party, but I still like a lyric with a meaning. <laughs> I, I agree, you know? and and that's why the stuff. Uh, and since we're talking about taken by force, uh, you know, I've got to be free. You can party and still have meaning in the party. That's what I mean, you know. <laughs> right, or you can have purpose. Yeah. Is, yeah, or at least, or at least after the um, fifth drink, you you think you have some purpose, and then it gets really <laughs> deep. You now, and um, not, at least, particularly to yourself, but <laughs> yeah, you maybe can... not people who are just standing by <laughs> you have a you have a you have a metamorphosis but the, the, speaking of purpose this this today was to talk about the uh, the north american tour it does start march 20th in hollywood and it runs all the way till may 10th in san antonio all the way yeah we're ending in texas and um yeah it's a it's a big tour and, and then and then sweden rock sweden. after that i mean hello that that is a major festival that is that is which fantastic. one Sweden Rock in June, that coming back in Europe after. Yeah, yeah, I've done it. Uh, this is my third time at Sweden Rock. And it's such a I've great festival. The Scorpions in uh, 2007, we did a, a big show there. And then there was one show with Glenn Hughes before that. But yeah, I'm, I, I, like, I like Sweden Rock, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So uh, on that, I will say merci beaucoup. Always, always a pleasure. And of course, when you're in Montreal and Ottawa and so on, if there's anything mm. you need, if you need me to drive you anywhere or whatever, or take you to lunch, more than happy to. Toujours un plaisir. Always a pleasure. Toujours un plaisir. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to ask, and this is off the record, not well, on the record. Let me turn off the tape. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Mitch LaFond. Wasn't my German fantastic? It was brilliant. <laughs> 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 